0: Subject when it comes to church, money, and finances and possessions. It's always fun to be able to try to talk about this subject in a church setting because a lot of times uh, the, the church can come under a lot of flack or come under a lot of um, criticism that, oh man, they're talking about money again at that church. All they want is money, money, money. But I think what's going to be great for us to be able to walk through in this series and especially tonight is that part of the reason why we chose some of the topics that we did through this series is because we wanted to be able to make it both a, a, a both and scenario we wanted to be able to walk through what does the bible have to say about stewardship in many of these different areas but we also wanted to provide with you or for you a very practical uh, a way of applying some of these things and you'll notice that if you came in tonight uh, back on the back table there was a um, some things that we'll talk about here in just a minute that uh, connect with finances and making a plan for your finances, as well as on the handout tonight. If you haven't got one, make sure that you do, especially before the night's out, because there are some great uh, practical uh, tools and ways for you to be able, some resources for you to be able to apply what you've learned tonight. Now, when it comes to finances, um, we all may kind of draw from different places as far as where we learn from. For, you, for some of you, you may have had some very influential people in your life. Like for me, when it comes to finances and handling finances and, and valuing money, uh, my grandfather has been kind of the, the number one player in my life in teaching me how to handle money and how to view money. As a middle school kid, um, I uh, began working in, my, on the, in the summer times with my grandpa. My grandpa owned uh, a air conditioner repair um, uh, a, a business, and uh, he sold it and then went into business for himself by the time I was in middle school. And so we would spend the summers working in his garage, tinkering on room air conditioners, fixing them, uh, and, and putting them back together for a lot of different people in the city. And I began uh, to work for him, and then I was paid a wage of 50 dollars a week. Can you believe it? It was amazing, back in the day. And by the end of the summer, I could afford something incredible right before school went back into session. And so as I began to uh, earn money and earn it consistently, uh, he took me to the bank and taught me how to uh, save and how to spend and how to give uh, some of what I was learning, uh, uh, what I was handling. And uh, as he began to teach me uh, this, I began to take a new interest. And so I began to watch him and see how he handled his finances uh, and see if it matched up with what he taught me. And it did. Uh, as he began to um, handle his finan- as, as he handled his finances, I began to see him uh, in three specific areas uh, handle his money. He was he would always tithe. I would always see him because we went to church together. Uh, my grandparents were very influential in keeping me in church as a young man, and so I would see him every week when the pa- when the plate came around. He would have the money prepared, and he would he would tithe, and I would see him do that um, faithfully. He would also, with his money, help others, and I would see him from time to time. He was a very generous man, and he would be very generous. Sometimes he would be out on a call, he would see somebody, or out on the street, a lot of times because of where his uh, the house was and the repair shop was, so there were people that would walk by and ask for money, and he was wise, but also very generous with, with his finances. And I would also see him put away uh, up in the closet, uh, he had a little wallet that he would stash away, and he would, at the end of the week, when he got his cash out, he would put some of that money in this wallet, and he always told me that this wallet was for uh, what he called fun money. The fun money was inevitably going to be spent on family, and we would go on trips with that. We would go, uh, they took me to uh, Washington, D.C. as a kid. We went to, a lot of times we lived in Florida, so we went to places like uh, SeaWorld and Bush Gardens and places like that just to have fun and to be able to enjoy life, but he always put away to spend some money on family in fact, my grandfather was so generous, um, from time to time, we would invite strange kids from church over, and uh, you know, some of them were you know, ministry kids, and they really needed uh, an, an, a leg up, they really needed some help, and so we always tried to take care of those kind of kids too. But no, I'm just kidding. Does anybody recognize that guy? That's Pastor Ben when he was a kid. And you see me, you can see me, I'm peeking out from behind him. That was a, that was, that was a party back in the day. My grandpa's in the picture, that's why I found it. I was going through some of these old photos, but... Yeah, that's his grandma back in the back. So, but not everybody is generous with money. The reality is, is that we live in a world where sometimes money can be something that can be misused and mishandled. And a lot of times we can, we can uh, meet or learn people from history who didn't handle money very well. Uh, this, is, this lady is an example of someone who didn't handle money very well. Her name was Hetty Green. Anybody ever heard of Hedy Green before? Hedy Green, uh, back in the day... Uh, she was a, a kind of a miser when it came to money. In fact, if you read her story, as I was doing some, t- some this week, you come to find out that she actually loved money so much uh, that uh, her parents bought her uh, an outfit to be able to start courting and then to date and then to marry. And they bought her a collection of, 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 of uh, outfits. And sh- what she decided to do with that is she actually sold all that stuff so that she could buy government bonds to start uh, collecting money. So instead of wanting to be married, instead of, of wanting to continue her family legacy, see. She decided, I'm going to sell all that because I just want to get money anyway. Uh, if you read throughout her story, she also had an aunt that passed away that had some money, and she actually sued uh, the family uh, with some forged documents to try to get a hold of the inheritance and steal it from her family. That's what like, she thought was a good idea. She actually had a couple children. She did end up getting married. She had a couple children, and uh, the story goes is that she was such a miser when it came to money because she wanted to keep amassing all this wealth that she actually forced herself and her children to live basically um, in abject poverty. She uh, didn't clothe them very well. They, they ate very poorly. Uh, they lived in very cheap housing according to uh, the wages of the day. And in fact, she actually withheld medical care from a couple of her kids in times that actually affected them throughout their whole entire life because she didn't want to pay the doctor because she was uh, wanted to just save a buck, is what she said. So by the end of her life, the uh, the, uh, hist- the history uh, books tell us that she amassed in today's wealth about $2 billion and actually became the world's wealthiest woman to date. But she also named, uh, also earned a nickname. And her nickname, went, she would be remembered in history as, as Hetty Green, the Witch of Wall Street was her name. So... That's not the kind of legacy I want to leave when it comes to finances, and that's not the kind of legacy I want to have when it comes to my family and, most importantly, to honor my God with the things that he has given to us. So in this series, we're talking about stewardship, and we're talking about stewarding well tonight finances, money, and possessions in which God has given us. Now, one thing we're going to have to do tonight in... um, in an effort to be able to give uh, the word of God uh, a fair course, is that we're going to kind of do an excursus, if you will. We're going to travel all over the, the, uh, the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, because we need to see that money is something that the Bible teaches, of, uh, teaches about in a lot of different ways. And through the ages, God has said one single story when it comes to money. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want us to focus on a few biblical themes before we jump into our study tonight of being able to handle money and being able to be generous, as what we'll learn the Bible wants us to be in some in a couple different areas. So the first biblical theme I want us to kind of introduce to you and kind of grip a hold on is that when the Bible talks about money, the Bible talks and teaches us that material possessions are actually a good gift from God, meant for His people to enjoy. A lot of times money can kind of be one of those things where we talk about in church, well money's evil and we don't want anything to do with money and God doesn't want us to do anything with money, but that's not actually what the scripture teaches. The scripture actually teaches that money is actually a good gift from God and it's meant for his people to enjoy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 says, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who, the Bible says, giveth us richly all things to enjoy. You see, the thing is, is that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, both testaments tell a story that God is interested in blessing his people. And God is interested in his blessed people enjoying the blessings that he has given them. It is not something that we have to live or something that we have to throw away to live in abject poverty to please God. Uh, There is some religious institutions out there that have actually taught that, that it was better and you would be more um, apt to serve God if you become destitute, if you give away all that you possess and you you seek to not have anything. The the, uh, um, the Buddhism teaches uh, some of those tenets as well that material possessions are inherently evil. But that's not what we see. In the Old Testament, we see God who is rich to his people. And and in fact, he actually carves out a land and gives each of the people and each of the tribes of his people land promises that are inherent and we should be part of their legacy forever. In his covenants, his covenants always receive, uh, uh, are are giving of blessings, uh, blessings to bless uh, uh, those who follow him. And this is kind of what the uh, Bible teaches in in its entirety. The second biblical theme that I want us to grab a hold of tonight is that material possessions, although they are meant to be a good gift, are one of the primary means of turning hearts away from God. You see, anything that God has given us, as far as blessings is concerned, can endanger, and if it's used the wrong way or believed uh, or, or valued the wrong way, it can draw us away from God. That's what Romans chapter 1 talks about, how God uh, creates things. And Romans chapter 1 says that sometimes when people uh, decide to not serve God, they would rather serve the creation uh, rather than the creator, and their foolish hearts are darkened. Money is, is, op- is, is the same thing. There are warnings throughout the Old Testament to kings and to the people of God not to amass Uh, uh, these kinds of things because it will turn their hearts away from God. In fact, there's a harsh chastisement in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Um, There's a chastisement that comes from God to the people. It says in verse verse 5, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warmed. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. He's talking about the house of the Lord. And I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You look for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, it did blow upon you. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is wasted and ye run every man unto his own house. The people had come back from exile and instead of building up the house, of the Lord, which they, had, uh, which they were supposed to do. They decided to look into their own houses and amass their fortunes and rebuild their own houses. And the people had done all they could to build up wealth for themselves, and they weren't rich towards God. And God was saying, you're working so hard, but you're valuing the wrong things. You need to value me because money has turned your heart away from me. The third theme I want us to kind of grapple with tonight is the idea that material possessions are a telltale sign of authentic spiritual transformation and maturity. And this is where we're kind of camp tonight. The author Randy Alcorn in his book The Treasure Principle writes this, I have never seen a mature Christian who was not also a mature, mature steward. Giving is a part of growing. And here's where I kind of want to dive in tonight with this point that we, if we're going to steward well the things that God has given us, that is money and possessions, if we're going to steward our finances and possessions, it needs to be expressed in three areas generously. If you have your copy of your scriptures, I want to invite you to open up to our first scripture tonight, and that's Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, as we look at our first point That if we're going to be stewarding our finances well, we need to be generous in three ways. The first way is we need to be generous towards God. We need to be generous towards God. Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21 say this, and he saith unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say unto my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God saith unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God." I heard a story about about a young man. He's about eight years old. He went to a soccer game with his uncle. And his uncle loved him. And he was one of his favorite nephews. And as they were were at the soccer game, watching the soccer game go on, it came about halftime. And uh, the kid had been watching all these other kids eating candy. Uh, from the concession stand, if you have kids and you've ever been to a game, you know the concession stand, is it's always there, lingering, right? It's always calling out your name. It's always calling out your kid's name. Come buy something, right? So the kid decided, hey, uncle, can I buy a bag of Skittles? And of course, the uncle, because he loved his nephew, is one of his favorite nephews, he said, sure. So he reaches down into his pocket and pulls out a dollar bill. He says, hey, you can go, da- go down to the concession stand during the halftime and you go buy your bag of Skittles. And of course, the kid goes down, he buys his bag of Skittles and he comes back and he's happily prancing around. He's already teared open that plastic bag and he's shoving those Skittles in his mouth. And if you've ever eaten Skittles at a rapid pace as a child, you know that can- that color begins to smear all over your mouth and all over your hands. It's not like M&M's Prime Light like melting in your mouth and not your hands. Skittles gets all over the place, right? And so as this kid's sitting here uh, munching on that sugary snack, the uncle is sitting there, and he's kind of watching his nephew devour these Skittles. And, man, he's thinking, Skittles are, are really good. I think, I'd, I think I'd want one of those. So he looks over to his nephew, and he says, Hey, can I have one of those Skittles? And the nephew looks up at him, looks down at the Skittles, and goes, No way, uncle. They're almost gone. And the uncle was floored. He's thinking to himself, now, wait a minute. I'm the one who gave you that money. I'm the one who paid for those skills. Those skills are actually rightfully mine. And I'm like 10 times bigger than you, so I can just rip those Skittles out of you. And this is kind of what's going through is, is mine, right? Now, the uncle doesn't say anything, and the kid goes on to devour that whole bag of Skittles. And you might think, well, that's, what a horrible child, right? Why, how would, how would, would somebody ever do that? Why would somebody ever be like that? To somebody who had blessed them so much, but hold up, wait a minute. The reality is is that you and I can sometimes be like that towards God. You see, the Bible says that God is the one who's given us all good things. James tells us in James 1:17 that every good gift and every per- perfect gift cometh down from where? Above. "...cometh down from the Father of light, whom there is no variableness, variableness, neither shadow of turning." See, the reality is, is that we, even as Christians, we receive every good and gracious thing. It all comes from God. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, if we don't have the right kind of mentality, if we are not generous towards God, and that is a value that we value, a lot of times we can go out setting out to consume all that we have and all that God has given when the ultimate ownership of those things is not us, but God. James goes on, in particular, in particular concern in his uh, uh, epistle, by telling us a little bit about how he viewed money and possessions, and how God views it. And the entire chapter two of James is actually kind of a a, 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 a very uh, intricate t- uh, um, demonstration of how we are to handle finances, when, and particularly when it comes to those who don't have, and particularly in reference to the poor, to the needy, to the fatherless, to the widow, and to the destitute. And in fact, James goes so far as to say, this is a proof of our authentic faith, of how we handle our finances towards those who need it. John, I think, I think John and I probably would have been pretty good, pretty good buddies. I was talking with um, a gentleman in discipleship on Saturday, and we were looking through 1 John. I love how John is just, he's one of those guys where he's just so black and white. When you read his epistles, uh, he's just, he, just, he just lets it fly, if you would. Uh, he, he's, uh, um, he's constantly uh, uh, just laying it out like it is. And John in his epistles, he goes one step further than James. In First John chapter three verse seventeen, here's how John puts it. He says, "But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him?" In other words, he says, "If you have, and your brother or sister in Christ is a have not, and you decide I'm keeping it for myself, you don't have the love of God in you. That's pretty straightforward." But that's what John had to say on the subject. You see, we're talking about being generous towards God. You're saying, Corey, that sounds. Like, you're talking a lot like you're being, talking about being generous to others. Well, we'll get there. But when we say generous towards God, what do we actually mean? Because it, does when I say generous towards does God like is he like poor like does he does he need our money like is he kind of like a beggar and so he wrote part of this book to like make sure he gets his his stuff right. Is, is, that, is that what we mean when we say generous towards God? Well, I've already heard some of you say, no, of course not. God is not a beggar. God is not in need of our dollar bills. God is not in need of our money as if he was somebody who was in need. But here's the thing. When we're talking about generosity and being generous towards God, generosity over or throughout the scripture has always been connected, both Old Testament and New Testament, to our obedience and display of our dependence upon God. See, in the Old Testament, God, in part of his law, created what we call the tithe. Now, the full tithe is actually a little bit different than what we practice in the New Testament age. The full tithe, as recorded in the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy, was actually three tithes. There were three tithes that were collected. One was a 10% tithe that was given to the temple and to the Levites. That was how God sustained the Levites because the Levites didn't work secular jobs. Their job was to maintain the religious ceremony and the temple cult. And so in 10%, the 10% of that went to the Levites, to their tribe, and to the administration of the temple. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 14, God gives another tithe, another 10% of the income that was supposed to be given to offset the costs of the festivals that was, um, taken, that was uh, seen or, or, or practiced by the people of Israel. So when the people gave, they gave 10% to the temple and to the Levites, 10% to offset the cost of the um, festivals. And then Deuteronomy 14, that same chapter, this tithe was collected every three years, but for one year, it would equal about 33.3%. It was another 10%. So every year, uh, three and a third percent was given to the poor. So when you add all that up, the Old Testament tithe was actually 23.3% of your income who wants to practice the Old Testament tithe, right? Of course, I don't see anybody's hand raised, right? Of course not. Well, praise the Lord that we're not under the Mosaic law, right? We're not under the Mosaic law where we have to bring in our tithes of our mint and our cumin and all that kind of stuff. Thankfully, Jesus Christ has fulfilled that Mosaic law in himself. But here's what's cool. Although we're not required by the letter of the law to bring in 23.3% of our income every week to the church. We live in a time that is exciting because now in the New Testament, no longer is the tithe the finish line of generosity. That was kind of the finish line of generosity for the people of Israel. Now we live in a time where the tithe is now the starting line of our generosity. We live in a time where we experience the blessings of God in such miraculous and amazing ways that now we're unleashed, not to be generous because a law tells us to be so, but because we've been blessed to be a blessing. And so now in the New Testament age, we have been unleashed, and now the tithe is the starting line rather than the finish line for our giving. The principle of generous or what we call hilarious giving is seen in the New Testament. And to be honest, it overwhelmingly, proportionally, overwhelmingly, uh, 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 it, it shows up in the teachings of Jesus. In the parables of Jesus alone, we find the principle of generous giving exemplified in such stories as the, the the tale of two debtors, where one is forgiven much and some forgiven little, and then that person wants to go after that person. All about all about finances and about handling them. Even the parable of the soils. The Bible says that Jesus, when he goes and talks about the soils, he talks about the one that that's, that cut that is. Um, Sprouts up and then the the weeds uh, begin to choke it out. Jesus says that those weeds are wealth and a desire for possessions. Jesus tells the story of the hidden treasure field and the pearl of great price, talking about how we should sell all we have to obtain that. Jesus talks about the unforgiving servant. He talks about the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan at the end basically just says, hey, innkeeper, I'm going to leave my credit card and anything else that this person needs, charge it to my account, I'll come back and pay it. Generosity. Jesus talks about a material, the parables of material assistance, asking your father for things and your father will be a good father and give them to you. The rich fool, which we find in Luke chapter 12 here, where this man says, I've got all this excess. And instead of being generous with his excess, he says, I'm gonna tear down my barns and I'm gonna build new ones. And Jesus says, that's a foolish way of looking at the blessings I've given to you. You're going to be, your soul's gonna be required of you and the things that you think are all yours are actually gonna be all theirs. The invitation of the outcast, the highways and hedges, that invitation is to, Those who are outside the cities, the lame, the the, the beggars, the the leprous to come dine at the supper. The counting of the cost of the tower, the unjust steward, the rich man and Lazarus, the parable of the vineyard, the parable of the talents, the parable of the the wicked tenants who who they don't love, the landlord. And so when they see his son coming, they decide to kill him. All of these parables and some others are all lessons about material possessions and finances. And Jesus has a lot to say, or had a lot to say, on the issue. It's been said that those who have done the research that Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than he did about faith and prayer combined. Why? Why was Jesus teaching so much on this topic? Well, Jesus points out in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is... There, your heart will be also. In the Lord's prayer, which is also in Matthew chapter six, Jesus prays this prayer and he says, "Give us this day our daily bread." Now, it's interesting that word "daily" is actually only used twice in the New Testament, both in the Lord's prayer—one in Matthew and one in Luke. And what's incredible about this phrase, which is translated in Greek "episeos," Which roughly means or is translated the day to come, would have struck a chord with his Jewish audience. Because as they heard this, give us what we need for the day to come, their minds would have hearkened back to the people in the wilderness. When they were in need, God rained down manna from heaven, and he did so on a daily basis. And he had some special instructions for the people. He said, when you go out to collect the manna, collect what you need for the day to come. If you collect more than what you need for the day to come, it will not profit you. Of course, the people, they do what God says, and some of them don't do what God says. They collect more than what they need. And what happens is that the extra that they collect, I might need a little bit of this for some other day, right? As they collect more than what they need, in fact, the Bible says they they were supposed to only collect one omer per person. If they were to collect more than that, the Bible says that that extra molded, stunk, and worms crawled out of it. Moses began to get angry with the people, and so did God because what God was doing in the Old Testament by raining down manna and telling his people to only collect what they needed for that day was to teach them an invaluable lesson that God was their source of physical, financial, and material possessions and that they needed to rely on God for all that they needed. The New Testament writers, namely Paul and Luke in the book of Acts, calls upon well-off believers not to change places with the poor, but to give their surplus And to be honest about what really is surplus. You see, we live in different times where finances and possessions, if stewarded well, can begin to amass and can begin to accumulate. And the New Testament church knew this. Some some people who were very blessed and very wise in their stewardship of their possessions had much. And the New Testament church, some people didn't have very much. And what God was trying to communicate through the New Testament, the early church writings in the book of Acts, is not to create some kind of system of communism where nobody owns anything. Rather, Jesus was trying to communicate through his New Testament church that if you have been blessed, you are to bless others with what you've been blessed with. And in do so, honoring and being generous towards God. So then, generosity towards God in the New Testament age Looks a lot like giving towards the work of the gospel advancement through his conduit, which is the local church. And being generous towards God is being done, is is done by being generous towards others, which leads us to our second point: generous towards others. If we're going to steward well the things that God has given us, we must be generous towards others. Matthew chapter 25, if you want to look there real quickly with me, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. The scripture says this, when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And for him shall he all gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, for the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When, we saw we, when, uh, when saw we thee a stranger, and we took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or we saw thee sick, or in prison, and we came, and, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them, on the left, "Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels." Jesus here talks about uh, the separation of those who are true and those who are false. And he says to them, "As you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. There's a connection, and he connects being generous towards others with being generous towards God Himself. I know in our modern context, it's kind of difficult for us to kind of parse out how we should be wise when it comes to helping out those who are in need, those who are hunger, those who are thirsty. Because we live in a modern culture where a lot of times people have taken advantage of the system. I learned of a guy here recently in 2023, the New York Times reported on a man in Mumbai, India, a guy named Bharat Jain. And Bharat Jain has begged on the streets of the financial tech and metropolis of Mumbai's wealthy districts his whole life, and on an annual basis has bagged up to eight hundred and ninety thousand U.S. dollars just from begging. Combined with the two shops that he rents out and his flat, which is a two-bedroom flat in a high-rise condominium in Mumbai, his net worth is nearing one million U.S. dollars. And although his family has begged him to stop begging because he's not a beggar or in need, his 10 to 12 hour a day job of deception and luring people who are in the more lucrative districts of Mumbai to feel bad and want to help him, he has become the richest beggar in the world. Now this is not unique to Mumbai, India. I lived in Saint Pete, Florida, and we had reports from some local uh, reports reporting people who had done extensive interviews and, in fact, had done a focus on some of the people that were in a certain pop uh, of a certain population in our town, actually near our church, and the, the, uh, they had begun to beg on the streets. and They followed these people and they followed them. And they followed this one guy back around to a parking lot where he got into his black Escalade. And as they ran up to the window and knocked on the door and said, hey, why are you begging if you have such a luxurious vehicle? And they had done some research and found out that he lived in a nice area of town. He just rolled up his window and drove off. And I remember that leaving a, posi- a, a certain stain in my, my mind as a young man towards those who, are, uh, who, who present themselves as, as, as needy. And maybe you, like me, you've you've heard these kinds of stories. Have you experienced this kind of deceit where someone has taken advantage of your generosity? And sometimes you're wondering, well, how exactly should I be rich or be generous towards those who are in need or towards others? Scammers are out there. But I want to tell you that scamming and scammers is nothing new. In fact, Jesus ministered to one of the greatest scammers of his time. In fact, the Bible says that he was a chief of the scammers, also known as publicans or tax collectors in his time. A man by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was the ultimate scammer of scammers. And after spending a little bit of time with Jesus and having his heart changed, Luke chapter 19, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, of the half of my goods I give to the poor. And I have taken anything from any man by false accusation. I restore him fourfold. On top of what Zacchaeus had stolen, he was going to return. He was going to give away half of his goods to the poor. Now, while this response isn't necessarily prescriptive, where Jesus in the New Testament isn't necessarily telling you, you have to give half of what you own to the poor. That's not what the Bible's trying to teach. It is descriptive in how we should be generous towards others. You You see, our generosity towards others displays a life that is managing well the resources that God has blessed us with. And on a practical note, the second theme we looked at how sometimes money and finances and possessions can be a way to take us off track and away from god giving to others actually provides an outlet for us who have been blessed in this world to return to the homeostasis if you will of having neither gross abundance nor extreme poverty a unknown artist by the name of agar son of jacheth in the book of proverbs chapter 30 Wrote this in verses eight and nine. He says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. In light of the totality of what the scripture teaches about money and possessions, one principle stays the test of time, and it's this. In God's estimation, people always take priority over prosperity. For sake of time, let's look at our third third lesson tonight. The third way we can be generous is, is by being generous towards family. Generous towards family. Another scripture that gives us some insight into God's wisdom is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Turn there if you'd like. But it says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. You see, in this proverb, we have two distinct placeholders. We have the good man and we have the sinner. The the idea of the inheritance in Old Testament time was a combination of generational wealth that continued to accumulate and was passed on by the inheritance to the next generation. It included land, it included possessions, it included children. However, it also, by definition, included morality, ethics, titles, and reputations in the culture. What some might label today as a legacy. These two types both amass an inheritance. The rich man, the Bible says, gives it to his children's children. That's his grandchildren. The sinner lays it up in store for himself. And the lesson that is to be learned from this piece of wisdom literature is that those who amass wealth and inheritance for themselves, ultimately God uses to enrich the godly. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon, who is the wisest man, takes on the form of a preacher. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 26, he puts it this way. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up that he may give, watch this, to him that is good before God. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. It's sometimes understood in our Western mindset that when it comes to retirement, the end of our life, the amassing of our fortune of our lifetime, that our monetary sum is something like a firework spectacular at Disney's closing, where we spend every dime that we've amassed in our retirement on us, and we blow it all before we bite the big one. And I want to tell you that this kind of mindset is short-sighted when it comes to what can happen if we grasp a hold of good stewardship for the cause of the gospel. Because when we, do, when we do this, I've heard people say things like, well, my kids, they're just going to figure it out like I did. Man, I want to tell you that if you're one of those people that your mindset is, I'm going to burn out like a firework. I'm going to spend every dime on me. And my kids, they can just figure it out like I did You are inadvertently destroying momentum that your family can use to change the world with the possessions and finances that God has entrusted your family with to change the world and to affect people's eternal destinations. A well-known saying is, wealth is made and lost in three generations. You may have heard this. Shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, we say, in the U.S. In Japan, they say, rice patties to rice patties in three generations. In Taiwan, we learn to say it this way, Fu which means wealth will not go past the third generation. Same idea. One of the most well-known generationally wealthy families is is a family you may recognize, the Rockefeller family. The Rockefeller family is now in its seventh generation from the first John D. Rockefeller, and they still have a generational legacy to pass on to the next generation. In an interview, they pointed to four contributing factors. You can see them on the screen listed here. Now, I'm not saying that it's God's design for you to be the Christian version of the Rockefeller family. That may not be you, but what I do want to encourage you to wrestle with is the idea and the possibility that you can handle and steward your finances in such a way that you can begin, maybe for you, this, you're the first generation that might ever think this way, but you can begin to steward a momentum of generational giving. Generational inheritance and sending to the next generation an inheritance of gold and silver and godliness to handle both of those things so that you can begin to make a huge difference in the kingdom of God. You say, well, that kind of sounds like, Pastor, that kind of sounds like you're trying to say, like uh, this is like, like God wants you to be wealthy and so we need to like keep working and be, and be wealthy, like a prosperity kind of gospel. That's not what I'm saying. For some of you, it may be God's will that you walk down the path of not having, of not, uh, uh, not uh, uh, of being what we would call the have nots, of being abased. That's how Paul put it. Paul says, I know how to abound and how to abase, be abased. He says, I've discovered a secret, though. Whatsoever state I am, therewith I'll be content. Now, I don't think Paul is espousing, well, we just need to be poor all the time and just be content with that. I think that Paul is saying, whether you're the haves or the have-nots, you need to learn contentment. And the way that we learn contentment is by stewarding our resources and being generous towards God, towards others, and towards our family. The reality is, when it comes to money and possessions the reality that we must struggle with is that you and i can actually the more uh, the uh, the, uh, the more sorry the reality is that i can do more good for the glory of god and the advancement of his gospel when i have control of more resources it's just a fact if you have nothing to spare then the problem is you probably won't have much to give to god's kingdom and to the work That doesn't mean that you can't do anything. But if you have more and you steward it well, the reality is is that you can do more for the kingdom of God. And my prayer for you is that God helps you to steward the blessings that he's giving you. And that you can be generous towards God, towards others, and towards your family. And that each year you can continue to develop with a plan and leave an inheritance of gold and silver and godliness to your children's children and that you would teach them to do the same thing so that generation after generation we can continue to use what God has blessed us with materially to then turn it and use it to advance the kingdom of God and the gospel here and around the world. We're way over time, but I want to point to you on our, lesson, on, our, on our lesson sheet tonight, there is a host of, of, um, op- of uh, resources that I want to point you to. And I want to leave you with this thought. To be generous, we must steward well money and possessions that God has blessed us with. And to do so, we must live with a plan for the money and possessions God has entrusted us with right now rather than wondering where did it go. And that's what I want to challenge you with tonight. There are some tools and resources available in the back as well as on your sheet. that can help you walk through uh, what we call a budget. Our family uses a zero-based budget, but we account for every nickel and dime that comes into our household, and we give it a name, and we make sure that we are generous towards God first with that, generous towards others through our giving, and then generous towards our family through saving, and then we spend the rest. And you know what? If you handle what God has given to you by being generous to God, generous to others, and generous towards your family, you will see a momentum that will maybe even take this world by storm in your generation. Because God has been blessing us to be a blessing to others. Would you bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord in prayer in a time of reflection? If God has spoken to you, I know this lesson has been somewhat